Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Behold the Lamb of God. This year, in celebration of Advent, we will be focusing on some aspect of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. This morning's text is going to be Genesis chapter 22. We've already read the majority of the text passage. Um, so I'm not going to reread the passage this morning. I'll make note of uh, what I think are the key verses as we get started here. But I want to lay the groundwork this morning. As, as Brett mentioned, we are preaching this month in conjunction with the devotional uh, that we've handed out last Sunday and this Sunday. So tomorrow will be the first day of Advent that we'll be doing the devotions as a church. Tomorrow will be the second day of Advent, today being the first. And on tomorrow, according to the schedule, we'll read day one in the Advent, in the Advent devotional. Uh, today's message comes from day five. God will provide a lamb. Next week, we'll be doing, uh, next Sunday, the next sermon that will be preached will be coming from week two of the devotion. And what we want to do this month we build towards Christmas, is help ourselves see the Lamb of God throughout Scripture in the Christmas narrative as we build towards the coming of our Messiah. So we're going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 2. We said the series is called Behold the Lamb of God. This morning's message is entitled God Will Provide a Lamb. Genesis chapter 22. The key verses here, as far as I'm concerned, are, and then Isaac turned to his father and said, here is the fire and here is the wood, but where is the sacrificial lamb? And Abraham turned to his son and said, God himself will provide a lamb. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that your Holy Spirit would join with us. Open your word to us and let us see your son, the eternal incarnate word of God, God become flesh, that we might open our hearts to him in response to your grace, receive the forgiveness that's only possible through his blood, and come to know you as our Father. Jesus, we worship you this morning for your sacrifice. And it's in your name we pray. I'm going to talk something uh, this morning about retrospective empathy. Uh, if you've not heard of retrospective empathy, it's because as I was sitting at my computer typing up notes, I thought, what's the best way to describe this? And I thought retrospective empathy, because I've never heard of it either. So what it, retrospective empathy is, is as we look at something, having seen it happen before, we empathize differently the second time than we did the first time. So by way of example, of course, I'll go to the Princess Bride, because that's what I do. In The Princess Bride, we, having seen the movie, remember the scene where the grandson says, stop, 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 Wesley's not really dead. And the grandfather says, do you want me to continue reading the story? You're messing it up, Grandpa. When we see that for the first time, we don't know, as viewers, that Wesley's only mostly dead. When we see the movie the second time, we empathize with the grandson differently. A better example of this, I think, is actually The Little Princess. 
I was watching this the other day with Tirza. And we're, we're watching as uh, the, Sarah is looking for her father, Captain Crew, in the hospital. And in the movie with Shirley Temple, as Shirley's going through the hospital ward looking for her father, there are several scenes where you see Captain Crew being wheeled into the room just behind Shirley. And as a father, my heart can cry out to her and say, just turn around, he's right there. Retrospectively, I know that they find each other in the end. And I bring that thought to the movie now when I see it the first time I saw it, that scene was much more difficult for me to watch. He's right there, just turn around. He's right there, you found him. Just call out his name. We do something similar with Scripture, especially when we have holidays, specifically Christmas and Easter, as they are our holidays. They're ours. We get to keep them. We, because we become familiar with them. And as we become familiar with them, we empathize differently with the story. Even if the story doesn't become passe, we view it differently. We view it with foreknowledge. We view it with kind of the divine understanding the narrator's perspective. So we're going to look at this today, and, and I want to run through Abraham's story this morning, but I want us to keep in mind this retrospective empathy. We're going to come back to it. So the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 2 kind of goes this way. Number one, God brings Abraham a test. He comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to go to this place. I'm going to show you a mountain, and I want you to kill your son, your only son, the son that you love. And Abraham goes. Now, we have to kind of stick a pin in this point and say, the story of Abraham's life is a story of God coming to Abraham and saying, Abraham, I want you to go someplace. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. God calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. He calls him, he goes to Egypt. He calls him back. He's going all over the place. If you look at a map of Abraham's life, every chapter in the Bible, almost every chapter in Abraham's life, is in a totally different geographical location. 50 to 100 to 1,000 miles from where he was in the last chapter. He was a nomad, a Bedouin, a wanderer. And he was so because he heard God calling him. God would say, get up, leave this place, go to a place that I'm going to show you. Get up, go to that place, kill your son. And Abraham did. And so the story goes on. The next morning, Abraham gets up. He cuts the wood for the sacrifice. He saddles up his animal. He gets everything ready. In the devotion, Russ Ramsey makes a point. He says he goes to his knife drawer and opens it up and, and examines each of his knives. The reality is Abraham got up and got ready to go do what God called him to do. And after making those preparations, he took two servants and he took his son and he set off on this three-day journey. And on the third day, when they looked up, they could see in the distance the area that they were going to. And so Abraham says to his two servants, you will all stay here. My son and I, we're going to go ahead. We're going to worship God, and we're going to come back to you. And at that point, because the servants had been there carrying the tools and the implements for the sacrifice, Abraham takes the wood for the sacrifice, and he puts it on his son. And Isaac now carries the wood. And Abraham carries the fire and the knife for the sacrifice. And together they go. And Isaac looks up and he says, Father, I can see the knife and the 
fire and the wood. But where's the lamb? And Abraham answers the only way he knows to answer, and that is to say God's going to take care of it when he needs to. God himself will provide a lamb for himself. And so they get to the spot. And Abraham builds an altar. He sets up the stone. He, he lays the, the wood out on top of it. And then he's got to stop and he's got to tell his son what's going to happen next. He tells Isaac, this is what's got to happen. I've got to tie you up. I've got to put you on here. And then I'm going to have to. And then I'm going to have to kill you. And Isaac obeys. And Abraham raises his hand, holding the knife. And then we get to the anticlimax, right? Because we know what happens. And the angel pops up, says, Abraham, Abraham, don't do this. Now we know you're going to obey. Abraham looks up and he sees the lamb. He's a ram over there, stuck by its thorns, stuck by its horns in the thicket. Thorns and horns, it rhymes, so it messes up. And he gets it, and he unties his son, and he sacrifices the ram. And then the angel comes and says, because you did this, I'm going to bless you. And he, he reestablishes the covenant that he made with Abraham. It's difficult for us to read that story without having a different retrospective empathy for Abraham than what he actually had. Because we know there's a ram over there. We know, regardless of where we are in the story, when you get there, you're going to raise the knife. And then, just at the last second, at the 11th hour, God's going to do something, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to blow your mind, Abraham. Just hold on. Just keep on trusting God, because God's going to do something amazing. We're all going to love it. We're going to laugh about it in a few years. If Sarah only knew. This is, the, this is the empathy that, that it's very easy for us to bring to the story because we're so familiar with it. And so we ask questions about the story. Where's our, here we go. We ask story, we, we, we question things like Abraham's turmoil. We see his turmoil, but we see his turmoil through the lens of knowing that it's going to turn out for his good. We can look at God's awful, awful instruction. But even that, we look at through a lens of knowing that it's going to turn out for Abraham's good, that Isaac's not going to die. We can look even at Isaac's obedience. We say, yes, well, maybe we understand that Isaac obeyed. But we know in the back of our minds, Isaac's not going to die here. And so a bit of the real empathy that's necessary for this story, this historic, factual story, gets lost. And the same holds true for God's provision when it's granted. Well, of course there's a ram stuck by its horns in the thickets. That's how the story goes. And it's possible that because we have this retrospective empathy, that we miss something. We don't understand the true heart of what's going on here. We're not the only ones who knew this story after it happened. 
There's another. His name was Jesus. He knew this story. And I wonder if he thought about this story. And if he did what he thought about this story. So we'll spend a couple minutes here and look at this. In Luke chapter 22, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Then came the time, the day of unleavened bread, the day in which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. This is after Jesus already had the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The day the Passover is coming, and Peter and John come to Jesus and say, Jesus, the day of Passover is coming. What do you want us to do? Where do you want to celebrate Passover? And Jesus says to them, go to a place. You're going to see a guy. Follow the guy. Go to his house. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 16 through 19, Jesus says this to them. He says, tell that man, my appointed time has come. And I wonder, as Jesus was heading into this feast of Passover, did Jesus think back on Genesis 22? To God coming to Abraham and saying to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and go to the region of Moriah and there sacrifice him to me. I wonder, was that in Jesus' mind? As he was heading into this time of testing, the ultimate test. Abraham then gets up the next morning and he makes the provisions for the sacrifice. He cuts the wood, gets his donkey saddled, his camel saddled, whatever it is he, he's riding on. He gets ready to go to that place of sacrifice. I wonder if that was in Jesus' mind. Also in Matthew 26, verses 27 through 30, Jesus in the Last Supper takes the cup, he takes the bread, and he breaks them. He says, this is my body broken for you. This is the reason I came. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Abraham making the preparations for the death as Jesus himself was preparing his disciples and himself for his execution. How was Jesus thinking back on what Abraham was going through, knowing that he was only a small matter of time away from the horror of horrors of life? And then after singing some hymns, they got up, those who were beloved to Jesus, and they went out of that place. I wonder if Jesus thought about that. I wonder, as Jesus was doing that and getting up to leave where he was eating the Passover feast, if he thought about Abraham taking his two servants and his son and leaving for where he knew the death was going to take place. I wonder if Jesus thought about Abraham leaving the two servants behind and taking Isaac and going further when he gets to Gethsemane and he leaves his eight disciples behind, Judas was already gone. And he takes Peter, James, and John. He goes further with them. In agony. 
I wonder if he thought about Abraham leaving the servants behind when he asked Peter, James, and John to wait and pray with him for a little while. I wonder if he thought about that as he himself went even further into the garden to pray. I wonder what he thought about Abraham and what Abraham was going through at that time. How would Jesus have understood the story of Abraham? Remember what, what Abraham told the servants. We're going to go and we're going to worship God and then we will come back to you. Jesus knew his Bible. Jesus knew what was said. And I wonder how he reflected back on this as he went and sweated drops of blood and terror. John chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. Judas leads a mob in Sanhedrin, soldiers. He kisses Jesus, betraying him to his murderers. And John tells us that the mob came and they were holding lanterns and torches and weapons. I wonder if that made Jesus think about Abraham carrying the knife and the fire for the sacrifice. In John 19, verse 17, John tells us specifically that Jesus carried his own cross out towards Golgotha. The other Gospels tell us that Simon of Cyrene was there and was forced to carry the cross for Jesus. In, the, in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, we, we see this, and many times we, we, we picture this as Jesus walking, having been whipped, having been beaten, carrying his cross, stumbling and falling, being unable to go any further, and then Simon being called up. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Isaac carrying the wood for that sacrifice that Abraham, his father, had placed on his shoulders as Jesus was carrying that cross out of the city. And as he saw that cross being put onto Simon, who had no business carrying the cross for anyone, This makes me think a little bit. Isaac turned to his father and said, Father, I see the fire. I see the wood. But where is the lamb? Father, Dad, Papa. What's going on here? Something's not quite right. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about this question from Isaac as he prayed in the garden, Abba, Father, you can do anything. Please take this cup and let it pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. 
I wonder if when he came back and found the disciples sleeping and said to them, can't you stay awake for even an hour? If he thought about that question from Isaac to his father, dad, something's not right here. Something's missing. Something is not the way it ought to be. And I wonder, I wonder if Jesus thought about the question from Isaac to his father. As he hung there on the cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Abraham answered his son and said, son, God himself will provide himself a lamb. And Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God, knowing the Scriptures, hears the words of Isaiah. It was His will to crush Him and to make Him a guilt offering. Son, I will provide myself a lamb. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Surely he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him and by his stripes we were healed. For we all like sheep have gone astray and turned every one of us to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the father answered his son, I will provide a lamb. We now apply the word. How do we apply this? We apply this by turning to ourselves and saying to ourselves, do we behold the Lamb of God? When we read Genesis 22, when we read the Old Testament, do we behold the Lamb of God? The Creator God, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, the Logos, who spoke and caused all things to be created for thousands of years, watched tens and hundreds of thousands of animals being sacrificed. His creation being sacrificed. It's an example of what he himself would do. Every single animal whose throat was cut, Jesus looked at and said, that is foretelling what I'm going to do. Do we see this king who stepped down from his throne to take my punishment, your punishment? Do we behold the Lamb of God? And when we look at a child, a newborn baby, laying in a manger, born to die, 
that man might live, do we behold the Lamb of God? Well, that leads to a second question. It should. Why? Why did God do this? Why did God make such an awful demand of Abraham? Why did God kill his own son? What kind of father kills his own son? And unless you wrestle through this question, you cannot know Christ. Unless you wrestle through this question, you cannot know and receive the love and forgiveness of God the Father. Because the answer is this. Abraham passed the test. We know that from the text. The angel said, you passed. But Abraham's passing the test wasn't good enough. Every time God called Abraham and said, go to this place, follow me. Paul tells us that, God trust, that Abraham trusted God. It was counted to Abraham as righteousness. It was credited to Abraham as righteousness. But it wasn't enough. Because unless someone came and debited his own righteousness, there was no righteousness to credit to Abraham. It wasn't enough. Abraham passed. Insufficient. Isaac obediently surrendered to this monstrosity. And it wasn't enough. The disciples... Peter, James, and John, who swore they would die with Christ before denying him, couldn't stay awake for an hour to pray. Jesus came back to them and said, Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. You desire to do what is right, to do what is good, is not enough. The reason that God sacrificed his son on our behalf is because we were not good enough. We could not pass enough tests. We could not surrender obediently enough. There's only one. There was only one who obeyed God sufficiently who obediently surrendered sufficiently and whose sacrifice was sufficient. Jesus Christ, the baby born to die that man might live. Third, we need to understand in terms of applying the word, the promise here, Read Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 11. It'll be on the screen, so as I stumble through, you can read it. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life a guilt offering, He will see his offspring. He will see his offspring. Isaiah was speaking to Israel. They understood what a guilt offering was. A guilt offering had to die. But Isaiah says here, 
he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands after the suffering of his soul he will see the light of life and be satisfied catch this now by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many that brother and sister, is why. Abraham raised his knife. The angel came out and said, Abraham, Abraham, the same way Jesus said, my God, my God, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. Now I know that you obey me. Now I know you trust me. Here is a lamb. Here is a ram to take the place of your son. And then the angel comes back and says, because you obeyed me, you're going to inherit, you're going to possess the, the cities of your enemies, and through, the war, through you, the entire world will be blessed. The promise to the Lamb of God, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. He will see his offspring. You recognize that you are the offspring of Christ. If you are in Christ this morning, you are the offspring of Christ. Through his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Finally, there's only one way to apply this to ourselves, and that is to ask ourselves this. And so I ask you this morning, have you placed your hope in the Lamb of God? Have you submitted to the authority of the King? Have you been cleansed by his blood? Do you stand in his righteousness alone? If you hear my voice this morning and your answer to that is no, I would plead with you. Do not let the knife of God's righteous judgment plunge into your heart. There was one who took your place. There was one who suffered that you need not die. But like Abraham, the only way to receive that grace is through obedience and faith. So I would plead with you this morning, submit to the authority of this king. Be cleansed by his blood and stand in his righteousness alone. You are not good enough. You cannot obey sufficiently. Your death will not lead to your life. Christ's does. It is freely offered to you this morning. Father, I praise you. You, the only wise God, who caused all things to be made by the power of your word, you who do all things according to your wisdom, for your pleasure and for your glory. You who caused your Son 
be made a guilt offering for my sin. I praise you. I praise you, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that when my life is put into the balance and the judgment is ready to be laid out for my sins, there's another who says, my blood has already been spilled. Jeremy does not need to be spilled any longer. Father, just as you caused that ram to be caught by its horns, prepared a sacrifice for yourself, for my sins, Lord, I ask by your Holy Spirit that all who are in the hearing of my voice receive the Lamb that you have provided for yourself, that we might know the light of life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for a benediction? This morning's benediction is kind of an amalgam of verses. I'm trying to capture my thoughts here, but they're coming from, I'll tell you, Genesis chapter 22, verse 13, Psalm 34, verse 5, Revelation 12, verse, the first part of verse 11, and uh, Romans 8 as well, I just didn't write it down here. Now, just as Abraham looked up And there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. May you look to him, and may your face be radiant. May it never be covered in shame. And just as God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, may you, through Christ, overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.